Is thank God good? I appreciate that good preaching. That was tremendous. Appreciate the good singing. I appreciate the focus on what God's done for us. I'm, I'm glad when He sees me, He sees the blood of the Lamb. I, a pastor, I pastor in a hard, hard area. I'm talking about an area where the men are real men and the women are too. <laughs> hard area, man. Half the people in my church can't tell time, but most of them have done time. <laughs> Very first convert in my church, we took a men's trip, and uh, we, we had the trailer pulling behind us and had it padlocked, and I got there four hours from church and realized I'd forgotten the key. And, and my first convert said, you got, you got a towel? I said, yeah. He said, you got a broomstick? I said, yeah. He said, don't look. <laughs> Fifteen seconds later, he had that lock off there, man. So, I didn't know that was possible, but uh, I said, hey, where'd you learn that? He said, you don't want to know. <laughs> so, it's like with a church like mine, I'm real glad God, God sees the blood of his son. Amen. We got some folks that have been saved from some hard, hard backgrounds, and God is so good to look at us and only see who his son is and what his son's done. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Ruth, if you would please. One more time, thank you so much for all the hospitality. Uh, the great meal and hotel and everything else, great service, just been good as always. Ruth chapter number four, if you don't mind, let's stay in please out of respect and reverence for reading God's word. I'm painfully aware of the fact as I go to the book of Ruth, my brother Stroud is here and he's one of the best preachers in the book of Ruth I've ever heard. Um, so I, I will not intend or pretend to be nearly as good in the book of Ruth as he is, but I want to read something from Ruth four and then go back to the beginning of the book and go on and work our way up through it and summarize it so I can show you something from verse 4 that, or chapter 4 that I hope will be an encouragement to you today. Uh, Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there and behold the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, uh, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and they sat there and, and he sat, they sat down and he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know for there is none to redeem it beside thee and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. And then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? Thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Uh, therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Help me as I preach. Give me exactly what I need to be a blessing and to help your people. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
In Ruth chapter 4, we have a unique seed that takes place at the gate. Brother Blue alluded to it just a moment ago. Uh, briefly, there is a legal proceeding that is about to uh, be undergone, and uh, a lady is going to be married one way or the other. Now, there are two men that are uh, the potential suitors and potential spouses for this lady, Ruth. Uh, the first one, uh, when he finds out he is eligible to marry Ruth, says, I, 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 I can't do that. That's, that's horrible. That would, that would mar my inheritance. And the word he uses for mar is the strongest word for disgust in the Hebrew language. It, it means to pervert, to rot, to corrupt, decay. He is practically puking on the ground. Oh, Ruth, whoa, that's, a, that's horrible. I, I can't do that. That's nasty. The next guy says, yeah! <laughs> he has got the completely different attitude than this other guy has. One guy is disgusted. The other guy is delighted. One guy can't stand the thought of it. One guy is having his dreams fulfilled. It's the same woman they're talking about, but they're looking at this two completely different ways. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of the story, quickly work our way up through it. We'll be in plenty of time, I promise you. And I want to show you why this happens at the gate and make an application as we get to the end of this. The book of Ruth occurs during the time period of the judges in the Bible. Most likely, it takes place right around the time of Gideon. That is the only famine that is mentioned during the time of the judges. Now, the time of the judges is a horrible, wicked time in Israel. It is, as has been described once this week, their dark ages. People are being raped and murdered in the streets. Mothers are cursing and blaspheming in front of their children. Mothers are making idols for their children. It is the most horrible time imaginable. On multiple occasions, the Bible says there was no king in Israel, so every man just did that which was right in his own eyes, and that is always a prescription for national disaster. During this time period, there's a man that lives in Bethlehem of Judah. His name is Elimelech. He has a wife by the name of Naomi. That means sweetness. They have two boys, Malon and Chilion, meaning sickly and pining. The famine has come there to the land, and this guy says in so many words to his family, Listen, uh, there's a famine here, and if we stay, eventually I might not be able to feed you. Now, I know we, we shouldn't have anything to do with the Moabites because they're a, they're a rejected and despised people. I know they've been the inveterate enemies of Israel for their entire history, and I understand they worship that false god where they sacrifice living babies in the fire in those fiery white-hot hands. And I know God has placed His curse upon them from generation to generation. But listen, we may not be able to eat if we stay here... And they've got food over there, so we're going to go down there for a while. But it's okay. We're not going to live. If we were going to live, that would be wrong. That would be a sin. We are just going to, here's the word he uses, we're just going to sojourn down there in Moab. We're just going to visit for a while down there in Moab. You know, you may want to be very careful about visiting in sin and visiting in a backslidden state because visiting becomes staying very quickly. Very quickly we find they have gone from sojourning to continuing to dwelling. There is no telling how long they have been there, but they are there so long that the husband, Elimelech, dies. There's now a grave on the eastern side of the Jordan River there in Moab. He never does make it back home to Bethlehem. Well, after that takes place, it turns out the boys have gotten very used to Moab, and they have begun to get very attracted to the Moabite girls. Hey, parents, listen to me. If you don't want your kids getting attracted to Moab and the people, 
people in Moab might not want to take them down to Moab to start with. Well, these boys meet these girls and they get married. Malon marries a little girl by the name of Ruth and Chilion marries a girl by the name of Orpah. And after they are married, they're there for another 10 years on top of the years they've already been there. And then Malon and Chilion die. Now there are three graves over there on the eastern side of the Jordan, three graves in Moab, three men of the family who never did make it back home to God's country. Now Naomi, the matriarch of the family, has got a choice to make. She has nothing left there to her, and home is beginning to beckon. She says that I've heard that God has visited his people by sending bread to Bethlehem. So she says the most horrible thing to her two daughters-in-law. She says, you go back to your families, go back to your false gods. And she later acknowledges to Ruth, Orpah has gone back to her gods. She is giving them the advice, very likely to send them to hell. Well, she explains her reasoning to the girls, and it runs like this. If you go back to Bethlehem with me, there will be no chance for you to ever get married. You see, girls, there was an expectation of those who had married a Jewish boy. Before you got married to a Jewish boy, you may be very careful, because if you had married one of them and he dies, you are bound by the law and custom to marry his nearest of kin, his brother, uncle, whatever the case may be. So, you know the words, you marry a hunky Jewish guy, and all of a sudden he dies, and you find out... His, his brother is like a, a two-eyed troll with like a big thing on his forehead here. All right, so you got a problem because you're expected to marry this guy. And she says, listen, I've got no relatives left. Uh, there, there's nobody in my family that's going to marry you. And because you're Moabitesses, everybody else is going to shun you. So I'm telling you, if you go back, there's nothing for you there. Now, Orpah hears this reasoning, and though she has initially said, I'm going back with you, once she realizes there's nothing for her there, she goes back to her family, she goes back to her false gods. Ruth, on the other hand, having only seen the witness and example of a backslidden believer, has come to know the God of that backslidden believer. And Ruth says to her, Entreat me not to leave thee or to go back from following after thee. Whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people, thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part between me and thee. Now, we normally hear those words spoken in a wedding. Uh, the bride holds the hands of the groom and says, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor fall back and go after thee. When thou goest, I will go. That's just a great part of the ceremony. Everybody cries. It's so awesome. But the first time those words were spoken was to a mother-in-law. Now, can you imagine that wedding ceremony? <laughs> Young lady, if you would, remove your hands from those of your groom and join hands with your mother-in-law. <laughs> Repeat after me. <laughs> mother-in-law, whither thou goest, I will go, mother-in-law. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge, mother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, well, wouldn't that make quite the ceremony? <laughs> well, Ruth speaks these words to her mother-in-law, and, and the Bible says that when Ruth saw she was steadfastly minded to go with her, that she left off from speaking to her. So they go back to Bethlehem. Now for Naomi, this is steps back into very familiar territory. Been a long time, but this is home she's going back to. 
For Ruth, the exact opposite is true. This is completely unfamiliar territory to her. She can expect a cold shoulder and not much of a welcome, yet every step she takes, she is walking by faith, just trusting the God that she's come to know. They get there to Bethlehem. The Bible tells us at the end of chapter 1 that all the city was moved about Naomi. Is this Naomi, the daughter of the city? Has she come back? And she gets very angry. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me sweetness. I came out left out full. God brought me home empty. I'm as bitter as I can be. Call me Mara. city doesn't know what to think and Naomi's not being very helpful. Well, eventually the hubbub about them dies down and now they've got reality to face. Now there are two widows, a young widow and an old widow, and there's no provider there, and there are more bills than they can take care of, and there's, there's no way seemingly to survive, and somebody's got to put food on the table. Well, Ruth understands the laws of Moses and the customs of the land, so she says to Naomi, If you'll let me, I'll go out into the field of he whose eyes and whom I find grace. I will glean after the reapers because I know the laws of Moses allow this. Naomi gives her permission to do so. So Ruth heads out one morning. And the Bible says it was her hap to land in the field of a man by the name of Boaz. We would use the word happenstance. Isn't it interesting how when you're in God's will, your happenstance and his providence keep on meeting right up and holding hands. She ends up in the field of the man by the name of Boaz. And she is working out there in the field all day long. And then Boaz comes by. And Boaz, the boss, the, the owner, says, uh, the Lord be with you. Now, wouldn't you like to work at a fast food place like that? <laughs> boss shows up, the Lord be with you. And, and it's, it's not a put on with him. They're so used to it, they say, the Lord bless thee. And then he says, who, who, who is that girl? Now, he's not surprised there's a girl out there. Please understand, they're used to that. The laws of Moses allow that. The poor and the foreigners are allowed to do that. So, so he's saying, who's that? And he later acknowledges how attractive she is. He has noticed her because he says, girl, I have told the young men not to touch you. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind in the least. But if there's a girl that's like five feet wide by five feet high and 500 pounds and with like a mustache and buck teeth so bad she can eat corn on the cop of a picket fence, guys are going, we're good, man. Sorry, right, boss. We, we got it. No problem. We got it. So he is acknowledging how attractive this girl is. He's like, Who, whose is that girl? The foreman begins to speak. He says, boss, that is Ruth the Moabitess who came back to Naomi out of the country of Moab. Boss, she's been in the field working since early morning till she just now tarried in the house a little bit. He's saying in so many words, boss, I'd take a field full of people just like her. She's one of the greatest workers I've ever seen. she got character to spare. Boaz begins to speak to her, my daughter, go not into any other field. <laughs> you just stay fast by my maidens and uh, don't you worry about picking that big old bucket up out of the well. We got boys to do that and you just drink there out of their water. And you just glean right among them and you come here at dinner time and we'll hand you stuff. And, uh, and she says, why are you being so kind seeing I'm a stranger? He says, you're not a stranger to me. It hath been fully showed me all thou hast done to thy mother-in-law Naomi and how thou hast come to trust under the wing of the God of Israel. Chapter 2 verse 12, the Lord grant thee a full reward according to thy work. She says, thank you and goes back out to the field. When she does, Boaz calls the boys together and has a quick business meeting. It goes something like this, boys. You know how I've always told you I expect an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, right? Right, right, right. You know how I've always told you I expect you to be absolutely efficient in business. No way, no waste, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well. You know how I've always told you I expect you to really give it 100%. Yeah, well, forget all that. 
today, I want you to drop stuff in front of that girl. Make it like it's flinging itself in her basket by magic. What I'm telling you is, if you do a good job today, you're fired, every one of you. They think boss has lost his mind. He hadn't lost his mind. He just found something a lot more interesting than business. Ruth goes back out to the field. By the time she is done working that day, she has got enough food for two people for five days. That is an exorbitant amount. So when she comes home, Naomi recognizes this. And she says, who took knowledge of thee? Uh, the Lord bless him. And Ruth says, well, the man's name was uh, 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 Boaz. And goes, Boaz? Are you serious? I thought he was dead. I sent flowers for his funeral. Oh, Boaz is still alive? Are you I can't believe Boaz is here. He, the man's near of kin to us. And the word she uses is the word goel. It means he is a, a kinsman redeemer. One who can buy you back and, and undo your debts and bring the land back into our family. He's who I told you we didn't have any of. Now Ruth for her part does not seem to be really getting this because the next thing she says is well he, he told me to stay fast by his maidens and you can hear Naomi go and sort of put the brakes on because she seems to know she's getting ahead of herself and she says it is good my daughter that thou go not into any other field that they find thee not in any other field and she just backs off a little bit. <laughs> now this is the beginning of the barley harvest. Next thing you read is that Ruth continues to the end of the wheat harvest that is two months later. In other words, this Moabite girl who can expect nothing but rejection because of her background. For two months, she is working in the field and showing her godliness and showing that she's really a believer in the God of Israel and showing her character for two months. God is using this to soften the heart of a Jewish man by the name of Boaz who normally would have nothing to do with her. For two months, this is going on. And for two months, Naomi is watching as Ruth is coming home day by day, loaded down with goodness. And Naomi is seeing this man is really starting to fall in love with her. For two months, the process goes on. And then at the end of two months she comes home no doubt hot and tired and sticky and sweaty and just wanting to go to bed and you hear Naomi say oh honey I know you've had a hard day out there in the field and you, you, you're tired and you want to go to bed forget that get cleaned up put on your best garments anoint yourself with oil you going right back down there because tonight is profit-taking night. They'll finish up all the work there of the crops. They'll find out how much they have gathered in. It'll be the happiest night of their year. They'll have a big fellowship there. And then they'll all go to sleep right there on the floor. Now she says, go down there, but make not thyself known to the man. In other words, the way she said that was just sort of be coy to him. Hey, but don't really, don't really, don't really get too involved in don't engage, don't engage in any long conversations. And then she says, when you see where he sleeps, you're going to go to where he's asleep, uncover the man's feet, lay down crossways at his feet. Now, can you imagine the hysterical reaction if you suggest that day? How dare you tell me to lay down at a stinking, fungus-filled feet of some man? Do you not know that a woman is worth any five men? I'll never lay me down at the feet of a man. I guarantee you that's the normal ERA reaction today, Jack. But Ruth, notice her tender spirit. Ruth says, all thou hast bidden me, I will do. Ruth goes down there, waits for everything to finish up. Boaz goes to sleep. She lays down at the feet of Boaz. And the Bible tells us that at midnight, the man awoke and he was scared. 
Because I don't care how tough you think you are. Something surprises you in the dark. It's going to make you jump. (laughs) My daughter, Alethea, the youngest of our family, has several charming habits about her. And one is that she likes to hide in little dark cubby holes and jump out and go blah. We have a 75-foot-long hallway in our church where the switch is the very end of it because the architect thought it would be a genius idea to make us walk down a dark 75-foot-long hallway to get a switch. By the time we already figured out the problem, all the drywall was up, and I was not yanking that stuff down. So she will get in one of those little cubby holes. You you walk by, and she's she's really good at it. (laughs) Well, last year I was going home. And I called to find out where the family was. They were in one vehicle, I was in the other. And I found out I was about five minutes ahead of them. And when I hung up, I went, <laughs> And I got home and I, I wheeled the truck in behind the house where it couldn't be seen. And, and I went in, I opened the door and I heard the alarm beeping. Beep, beep, beep. And I went and I, sh- I shut it off and then I reset it for stay. Where it would make the same noise the next time somebody came in. And then I shut the lights off and I waited. <laughs> a few minutes later, I saw headlights pull into the driveway. And I went right inside the door and hid behind a piece of furniture about three or four feet, feet inside the door. And I waited. A few minutes later, I heard the basketball bouncing in the driveway because my son, the genius, thinks it's a great idea to play basketball in the middle of the night. And, and then, then a minute later, I heard the keys fiddling in, in the door. That, that'd be my wife. And she opened the door. And I heard beep, beep. And she walked right by me. Didn't see me because I was hiding in the dark. And then came my oldest daughter, Karis, the good child. And, and she walked right by me <laughs> and didn't see me because I was hiding there in the dark. And then Alethea came by. And when she got right by me, I went, I have never seen a reaction like that in my life, man. She literally jumped in the air. Her feet went out in front of her like this, and she started kicking. And she's backpaddling with her head. She's going, ah! She lands all the way on the ground. She's still doing it. Ah! My therapy bills are through the roof. Miss <laughs> worth every penny of it, man. <laughs> Boaz, Boaz wakes up at midnight... And if I can be so, so bold, the reaction is all like, there's somebody down there. They say, who's down there? And then he hears a familiar voice. It's Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. She is proposing to Boaz because under the laws of kinsman redeemer, if he's not approached you, you have the right to approach him and ask him to do the part of kinsman redeemer. Boaz says to her, I will do everything you've asked, for all the daughter of my people doth know thou art a virtuous woman. Then he says, how be it? That word means, but there's something you ought to know. How be it? There's a kinsman nearer than I. Now Ruth's world is in turmoil. Now she doesn't know what to think. She's, she knows Boaz. She loves Boaz. Now there's some guy out there who has the right to marry her and she doesn't even know who he is or what he's like. Boaz says, I'm going to handle this in the morning. In the meantime, stay at my feet for a few more hours. Dangerous out there in the street. We're during the time period of the judges. The, the safest place for you is right here at my feet. Has it ever dawned on you that we're just sort of waiting at his feet for a few more hours till he comes to get us? Every time we meet together to work, worship, we're just a few more feet at his hour until he comes for us on wedding day. Well, she waits those few more hours at his feet gets up to leave in the morning, he loads her down on her shoulders this time with twice as much as she got the first day. And he says, go not empty to thy mother-in-law. In other words, he's saying, I'm aware that Naomi has been behind the scenes in all of this. Tell her I said thank you very much. <laughs> so, so Ruth goes home, and when she goes home, Naomi asks her an odd question. 
she says, who art thou, my daughter? Now, she knows who she is. Here's the thing. She's surprised to see her coming home. So she is saying in so many words, who are you? Are you the girl who's been rejected? Are you the girl who has been told to go home while I think about it for a while? Are you the girl who has said, yes, but we need to wait for just a little bit? Who are you? What has happened? And Ruth says, he told me he would marry me, but then he also told me there's a kinsman nearer than I am. And Naomi's thinking, you can't be serious. I thought there wasn't one, and now there's two of them. She says, sit right here. Because I'm telling you, the man will not be in rest until he finished the thing this day. True to Naomi's expectations, Boaz is up early in the morning. He's heading for the city gate. The man he is going to meet is his only living relative. He says, after you, there's none but me to redeem it. You're the only family any of us have left. In other words, he knows this guy very well. And yet he is so jumbled in his mind that when he sees him, he says, Host such a one. Hey, you, come sit down. Can't even think of his name. So who's such a one? Hey, you comes and sits down and Boaz gets 10 elders of the city. And then he says, here's what we're going to do. We've got some business to take care of. He says, <clears throat> a little like our brothers died. And uh, Naomi's got this scrubby little piece of ground for sale. Uh, you may want it, may not. But, you know, if you don't buy it, I, I'm going to buy it because there's, there's nobody but us. And the guy says, land? Yeah, I want land. They're not making any more land. That's awesome. <clears throat> Boaz is upset. So then he pulls the ace out. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Before you agree to buy this land, you need to know something. This is not a normal sale. This is a kinsman redeemer sale. The day you buy the land, you also have to marry the widow that comes with the land. That would be Ruth the Moabitess. Now, when he gets to the word Moabitess, Mr. Hayu's entire attitude changes. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I, I can't do that. That that would mar my inheritance. Oh, that, that's disgusting. No, I can't marry Ruth. And Boaz is, yeah! <laughs> now, hang on with me for a second. I got a question. As I asked at the beginning of the message, why the different reactions? Go back with me to the beginning of the story. Matter of fact, go all the way back to Moab with me. I got a question. It's, an, it's a math question. You want a quick math test? How many young widows were there in Moab that needed a kinsman redeemer? There were two of them. How many potential kinsman redeemers were there waiting in Israel? There were two of them. I want you to let this sink in. Ruth saw no way that it could work and said, I'm going to trust God by faith anyway. She went back to Bethlehem and everything she needed was right there. And God softened a kinsman redeemer's heart to her. Had Orpah made the same choice, there was another kinsman redeemer right there waiting. And the same God that softened Boaz's heart could have and would have softened Mr. Hosucha one's heart. The point is... There was enough for both of them in God's will, but only one of them had the faith to step out and follow God's will. Listen to me real carefully. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please Him. Because of that, a very good God, who loves faith above all else, is going to place you in positions where the only way you have to please Him 
is just to step out on faith and trust Him. And if you're willing to trust Him, even when it doesn't make sense, if you're willing to follow Him, even when it doesn't work on paper, if you're willing to do what He says, I promise you, there's enough for you there. You serve a God who misses nothing and who knows what you need and who knows how to meet those needs. I've got a truck out in the parking lot. A 1997 F-250, bought, used up in Stanton, Virginia, drove it home. Had it for a couple months, and it broke down in the church parking lot. Now, that's the difference between a Ford and a Chevy. A Ford breaks down in the church parking lot where it can get help. Chevy breaks down a field somewhere where it can't. But I had this, this, truck, this truck broke down in the church parking lot. And I called the mechanic, and he came to pick it up. He called me back about an hour later. He said, you, your compressor is completely locked up. It's going to cost $378 to fix it. I can have it done in a week by Monday. I said, that's not in the budget, but i got to have it. Go ahead and do it. I got on the phone with him. Five minutes later, my phone rang. There's was a preacher friend of mine. He said, can you come preach a youth rally for me Friday night? Said, no problem. Went to preach a youth rally for him. He was very generous. Gave me a check for $300. I said, man, hallelujah. Well, after tithe, that's getting on up there towards that, that repair a little bit. Boy, God's good. We're leaving that, that night. And Dana, my wife, says, now, you remember you got to preach that homeschool graduation at that church tomorrow? I said, what, what homeschool graduation? What church? I'm telling you, if Dana does not keep me straight, I miss everything. And she, I said, all right, no problem, we'll go. So we drove up there, and a lady I've never seen before walked up to me, got this real weird look on her face, and said, the Lord told me to give you this, and she handed me $20. Hallelujah, glory to God. Well, that's $320. We're getting on up towards that $378 now. Hallelujah, doing all right. Thank you, Lord. I leave there that day, and before I got in the car, a guy chased me down in the parking lot, handed me a $100 bill, said, God told me to give you this. I get in the car, and I'm laughing hysterically. Dana says, what is wrong with you? I said, how much of a repair do we have? She said, $378. I said, how much money do we now have? She said, $420. I said, what's the tithe on $420? She said, $42. I said, what's $420 minus $42? She went, (laughs) she started laughing hysterically along with me. I'm telling you, we serve a God who knows exactly what you need. And if you'll just do what he says, he'll always make sure there's enough. Hey, there was enough for Orpah and God's will. Whatever God's will is for your life, there'll be enough for you too. God bless preachers. It's all yours. So I'll stand real quick. His mouths closed. You're hearing you say preacher.